Hi, this is Jay Bear of Convince and Convert Consulting, and welcome to the new Content Experience Show. Content Experience is the new content marketing. It's not only about reaching audiences where they are, but engaging them with personalized, useful content that matters. On the Content Experience Show, we share strategies, tips, and real-world examples of how leaders are taking their content marketing to the next level. Now, here's your hosts, Randy Frisch from Uberflip and Anna Harak from Convince and Convert Consulting. Welcome to the Content Experience Show. This is the Connect Show. I'm Randy Frisch. Anna, we had an amazing guest this week. Her name is Susan Beyer. You know her. You're both in Phoenix. And I even just her title that she calls herself head honcho at Audience Audit. That kind of just gives us the vibe that we're going to get. Someone fun, someone playful, which I don't know. It's not usually what I'd expect by someone who does research. No offense to anyone who does research. Susan is amazing. Like I, I, I would go so far as to say that she's, she's rad. Like she is just awesome. She's so much fun. She knows her stuff like, like no other person I've met when it comes to audience research. And, you know, as she alludes to on the background, one of the things that I think makes her so amazing and awesome at what she does is the fact that she was on the marketing strategy side for so long. And, you know, it's, she just has all these different perspectives and, and, the work she does is phenomenal with audience research. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. My understanding is Convince and Convert works with her a lot with some mm-hmm. of their clients. So that's the relationship her company usually has is, you know, she is the company that an, an agency, which is, you know, often very good at this stuff on their own, but they'll pull her in as the expert. And, and through that, we got a lot of great takeaways in terms of, you know, how to move away from maybe the old school ways that we think about segmentation purely around age or demographics, something of that sort. Uh, and and she actually, I, I didn't admit this during the podcast because I was a little ashamed, but I really liked her approach as to like, don't put a picture for your uh, persona. And and I was just like, I'm so glad we're not in the room where I have all of the pictures of our personas up, stereotyping <laughs> you know, you for ourselves. Them. I know, I'm going to like tear them off the wall or something. But yeah, yeah I don't, what did you think of that part? Do you like the idea of, of the picture or no picture? I, you know what? I am. It's so funny. I used to be on the same lines of you know when you create personas, like you have the typical picture, and you know those work. There's nothing wrong with them necessarily, but you know I think as we hear Susan explain, you just get so much more when you take away that picture. You get to see more of the buying behaviors and the habits rather than getting locked into what this person looks right. like and who they might be. Yeah, I, it's it's funny. We actually have cutesy names for a lot of ours. Um, oh, so we have, like, yeah, like one of ours is, you know, we sell to demand gen marketers here at Uberflip. So one of ours is called demand gen, like J. Oh, nice. Gotcha. Right? Of course, that's we've got little, that. That's funny. Yeah, we used to run into this really technical person and we eventually changed the name because they became more of an ally to us as we built out functionality. But we called that person digital dick. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> nice. you, you get it. Yeah, but yeah, eventually yeah. That, that person became more of an ally as we built out more tools to them and we realized we really shouldn't have to explain ourselves. I, I like that you went the subtle route on that one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, Anyways, you know, this, this podcast was a ton of fun. You and Susan know each other, so you kicked it off. So let's, let's roll the interview from this past week with Susan Beyer. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, Anna. It's delightful to be here. 
I'm really excited. So we have had a lot of conversations before on this podcast with others about audience research and segmentation and demographics and personas. And I'm so excited to have you here because you are absolutely the expert at all of this. And I'm so excited to get so nerdy on audience segmentation and research with you. I can't even begin to describe. But before we jump into all of that, could you give everybody just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I've been a marketing strategist for over 30 years now. That's a horrifying number when you think about it. I live right outside of Phoenix. I've worked on client side, agency side, you know, a couple of kids, a couple of dogs, like a good bourbon. You know, I'm just your normal nerdy segmentation researcher, really. You had me at bourbon. You had me at bourbon. (laughs) I like how you had me at audience research and you had had Randy at bourbon. It's, it's it's good. They really work well together. <laughs> what is your go? What is your go-to bourbon? Uh, Bullet's my go-to. That's the house okay. bourbon here. Yeah, nice. nice. too I like uh, it's a ba- good, tasty, basic, uh, basic bourbon. Nice. It is. It is pretty good. I, I'm. I'm a little fancier. Not. Not yeah. to like. Yeah. No, I like, it's okay. I, I like Blanton's. Do you know Blanton? Oh, like the one with the little that. horse on the top. Oh, the problem yeah. is. You can only get it at certain times of the year, so you kind of need backup. Yeah, see, so, that but, doesn't, that's not functional for me for bourbon. It needs I know. exercise. So yeah, Sunday like night Manhattan. Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but but I think we're we're here and to talk about audience segmentation. <laughs> yes. So I'll let I mean I'll I let can you, talk I'll about let, bourbon. I'll, yeah, we can talk I'll, about bourbon and audience segmentation. Yeah, you have you done any audience segmentation on bourbon? Like, I have not. I have not. I would love to do that, actually. We've done tons and tons of different categories, but I have never done that one, which would be interesting. There you go. So bourbon bourbon companies out there, I'll give you a break on it. If someone works for Diageo or one of the big companies, I mean, you've got your perfect audience segmentator. Yeah, one of the little guys that are out there like the segmentator. The little guys just making like, you know, casks of bourbon. Ring me up for sure. Right. Would you accept trade? Oh, yeah. I'm just kidding. No question. Um, Okay. So, but for real though, so you, okay. So you had just mentioned you do a ton of different industries. So what is one of the more interesting industries you've been able to work with or one that you were kind of surprised at some of the results? Oh boy. You're putting me on the spot. I mean, we do, I I guess every single project we do is interesting to me in some way. We never know what we're going to get. So it's sort of like Christmas and I've done lingerie. We've done recreational vehicles. I've done organizations supporting the drone industry. I've done mom and pop grocery stores. Like there's just, I mean, it just reminds you how extraordinarily interesting the world is. And, you know, one of my favorite parts about my job is I just get a peek into the people who are buying certain categories and why they're doing that. And I just find it endlessly fascinating. I don't know. I tell my husband about it and he's like, oh, great. That sounds really interesting. And I'm just all excited and tingling at the fingers, you know, because (laughs) we found out something really cool. So So can I ask you, I mean, the, the term segmentation, I think, is is one we throw around really loosely in terms of like yep. how refined we need to get. Like I, you know, not to draw too much on your examples there, but there there are probably a lot of women between the age of twenty five and twenty nine who are buying a car, shop at a mom and pop, 
buy bourbon and lingerie, right? So like, you know, how do you, how do you segment the ones that a brand actually wants to get to beyond the sex of someone, the age of someone, you know, where they live in the U.S.? Yeah, that's not how we segment. That's how. We don't, those demographics are, I, I would say 98% of the time, incredibly unhelpful for marketers. They're just, and that's how, you know, that's how everybody segments. That's how we were all trained to segment. That's the easiest kind of information to get. And so that's what people rely on. And it's just, it, it isn't helpful. I, I mean, it's it's a waste of time. We do We do segmentation based on how people feel about a category and about their capabilities to make a decision within that category, the kinds of attitudes they have about hiring somebody or buying something, you know, nine and a half times out of 10, those things don't have anything to do with what people look like on paper. First of all, to reestablish my credibility, I was hoping you were going to say that, and I didn't think you'd do it the other way. I, I did I kinda, not play it that I kind of gave you a softball there, you know, but... Uh, Careful, but, you'll get me on our rant. <laughs> but here's the part I don't know. Here's the part I honestly don't know. Is yeah. is how do you get that information from, from yeah. people? Like, is this a survey game? Is this, you know, a focus group game? What, what is this? Yeah, so there's lots of ways to get that information from people. And as you point out, you could do it in focus groups. You can do it in one-on-one interviews. I like data that's reliable especially when you're using it for marketing strategy. So our work is all large scale survey data so that we can get enough people answering those questions that you as the organization or the brand that's using this information know that's what's out there for you. Focus groups are great for digging into things. The challenge with them is you don't know whether what you're hearing is is represented on a larger scale in the population that you are trying to reach and be relevant to. They are notoriously notoriously beholden to loud voices, to strong opinions. You know, introverts have trouble participating and making their perceptions heard in those kind of spaces. And survey research has its shortcomings too. Every, every kind of research does. But we've done research, for example, with people who suffer from particular um, medical issues that will not be comfortable talking about those face-to-face with another individual, and certainly not in a group of people that they don't know. They're not going to talk about that. So survey research has some opportunities to get answers from folks that they wouldn't necessarily give you if they were right in front of you or even on the phone with you. I mean, even polling data is adjusted when they're talking to people on the phone because people are reluctant to tell somebody something that they are less reluctant to tell a survey that provides anonymity for them. We do survey research. We do large numbers. If I if we can't get large numbers of respondents, I won't do the research that, that we do because it's incredibly important to me that marketers are relying on statistically reliable data to make these big decisions. I mean, we've got many, many decades of marketers relying on, you know, our gut or a little bit of information. And I specifically built this company to help marketers have something that's a little more reliable to work with. So I personally have, Susan, worked with your research in the past, and and I can't even tell people 
how amazingly wonderful it is to go from, you know, what Randy was talking about, like the stereotypical, oh, you know, um, this person between the ages of 25 and 36 who drives a car, which is like literally everybody almost, you know, it, going from like that and trying to create content to, um, you know, this is a, you know, I'm trying to come up with like a persona-ish name on the fly, like a, like leading uh, authority. Like a modern millennial or a, right. Yeah. 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 So going to at least, at least something with a little more behavioral at like sort of representation to where you can go, Oh, okay. I can actually understand what their motivations are. I can understand sort of their buying behaviors and habits. I can understand their preferences and where they're going to be because they've told me. And it just, it makes the output of content so much better and so much more targeted. But first off, I also feel that marketers in some way are a little hesitant to invest in research sometimes because there is so much information out there. So how do you help people understand the benefits of going this direction and understanding just how much they're going to get from it? So, you know, I've been a marketing strategist for a long time. So I'm kind of unique from a research standpoint in that I've sat where my clients are sitting. I, I do research for agencies and for their clients. And so just having sort of that perspective, every single client that I talk to who's a marketer has had the experience of having even very granular demographic personas to work with and still sort of have to sit there in front of a blank screen and come up with some content ideas or some messaging or whatever, and still finding themselves having to make assumptions based on stuff that isn't there so they can move forward with the work that they have to do. So, you know, you talk to clients about that, you show them what attitudinal personas look like and the light bulb goes on and all of a sudden we're having a different conversation. It's honestly, it's as simple as that. Give them some examples and they go, oh, now I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> so Susan, this is, this is a great start to this podcast because I, I think we're reframing how people are thinking about segmentation. What I'd love to do with the rest of the of the chat is dig into how we tie this to content strategy. So let's Perfect. let's go there right after a short break where we can hear from some of our sponsors who have hopefully segmented properly to target you. We'll be right back here on The Connect Show. Hi, friends. This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, reminding you that this show, The Connect Show podcast, is brought to you by Uberflip, the number one content experience platform. Do you ever wonder how content experience affects your marketing results? Well, you can find out in the first ever content experience report, where Uberflip uncovers eight data science-backed insights to boost your content engagement and your conversions. It's a killer report, and you do not want to miss it. Get your free copy right now at uberflip.com slash connex show report. That's uberflip.com slash connex show report. And the show is also brought to you by our team at Convince and Convert Consulting. If you've got a terrific content marketing program, but you want to take it to the very next level, we can help. Convince and Convert works with the world's most iconic brands to increase the effectiveness of their content marketing, social media marketing, digital marketing, and word of mouth marketing. Find us at convinceandconvert.com. We're back here with Susan Beyer, and we're, we're talking about segmentation and understanding our audiences. And I've got a tricky question for you, because I think when we start to, to kind of take this to the content world, our first gut is you would be talking to the people who are creating content because they need to know who they're writing for. But I guess my, my bigger question that, that Anna and I often end up talking about is, should that be established by the content team or the demand gen team in some cases where 
they have to figure out who they're targeting and then in turn what content they need. Like, where does it start or who's at that table with you, Susan? Yeah, well, I'm selling typically, you know, my direct clients are agencies working for on behalf of their clients. And one of the reasons I did that is because I know agencies know what to do with this. Clients don't always know what to do with this. So the conversation with a client is often really interesting. It often includes corporate leadership because those are the folks who have to buy in to who the organization is selling to. And that really goes beyond who's in the audience, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a decision. It's a strategic decision to say, our acquisition target is these people and not so much these people because we can't give these people what they want. They can't give us what we want, you know, whatever it is. That has to come from strategic lead, which is often ownership in the organization. And then you know, I think that people make a mistake often thinking that personas just affect marketing because we see so often that different audience groups affect operational decision-making, customer service, business development and sales. Like, it, you know, it's just, it's the whole gamut. So there's content throughout organizations. It's not just marketing content. And I think organizations have to think about what kind of content do they have from a customer service standpoint or a business development standpoint or an operational standpoint that are touch points for the audiences that they are they are trying to get? When we kick off our projects, we have a room full of people on the client side from all sorts of departments talking about what they think is going on and what they wish they knew because we can help them across that spectrum when we build the research for them. It's, it's, it goes far beyond, uh, far beyond marketing. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I it, it reminds me of of a stat that I always go back to. It's it's now I guess a Gartner stat. It was previously CEB, where they looked at the number of people who would weigh in to the buying decision before just before we buy, let alone what you were hitting on in terms of once you're a customer. And and the number had risen last I checked to six point eight people, right? Like six point yeah. eight people are weighing in. So to your point, not only do we have to segment our audience, we have to understand all these touch points. And I'm yeah. reminded of a story. It was someone who all of a sudden realized that it was the procurement team that they were ignoring when they were selling their solution because it always got stuck with procurement and procurement just didn't understand the nuances of their right. solution. And, and so they had to understand this whole other segment. Right. Or has different priorities. And, you know, I do a study every year um, with Drew McClellan from Agency Management Institute. We, we do an annual study called the Agency Edge to help agencies sort of figure out what's going on in the minds of the customers that they are trying to sell to. And we consistently see multiple levels and responsibilities involved in the decision, for example, to hire an agency or to hire marketing support. It's just, you know, we need to think past that individual person that we're talking to and understand there are a lot of different priorities that are driving decisions like that in any organization. The thing that I love about audience research too and audience segmentation is you so often, especially within organizations, have people who say like, oh, we know who our audience is. Or, oh, we know, <laughs> we know who they are. And they're so convinced and they're so dead set. And then they get this research back and they're like, whoa. And to Randy's point, you know, it's like, we're, we're literally ignoring an entire segment that heavily affects our business. And I just love those light bulb moments and just like seeing people just get their minds blown. Yeah, it's so great. I mean, for me, 
A perfect study is one in which the client sees things they totally expected and also sees things they didn't expect to see at all. I would worry if it was all of one or all of the other, you know, because clients do have insight into what's going on with their own customers. Absolutely. And that's not to be denied. But often we find perspectives and motivations that people just didn't think were affecting their business in the way they are. And we're representing such large portions of the audience that's out there for them. So that's always fun. That's always uh, that's always a good time to show them something yeah. they didn't expect to see. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, you know, but... At least you just get to drop the research and like kind of be like, there you go. You know, like they're the ones who have to be like, oh, now we have to like yeah. bring these people into our into the fold a little bit. Yes, which is where their agency can be a great... Exactly, system. yes. <laughs> okay, so Susan, I have a question for you. So yeah. one of the things that I've seen um, being in marketing over the last, over a decade now, is there seems to have been this pendulum swung all the way into like these deep dive in-depth personas where, you know, they have a name and an age and a location and a backstory. And it's literally like reading someone's biography. Yep. But then it feels like the pendulum is swinging a little bit back more towards archetypes, which I'm a big fan of, but just wondering, you know, where you stand on that benefits, pros, cons. What are your thoughts on that? I think that sometimes marketers make personas very complicated because they think they have to. I've seen situations in which agency clients are overwhelmed by what they see in a persona because there's just all of this and it's just too much information. And it, you know, I call it the dusty binder syndrome, right? It just ends up on a shelf and nobody ever looks at it or uses it. And it's the same type of thing. Most clients can't deal with 30 different personas or 10. Like it's just, they can't, you know, it's not practical. You know, I always come back to how do you, how do you become more relevant to the people that you care about talking to than you were yesterday? How do you become more relevant? And, and over time you can become more relevant progressively. And if your organization can get up to being hyper relevant with 30 different attitudinal segments, then great, you know, but honestly, our sweet spot usually is around three to six personas that are um, strikingly different in terms of their attitudes and, and have differences that a client can hold on to. And I don't mean just the marketing people. I mean, people who are in engineering and development and production and customer service and sales who who can recognize these folks when they start talking to them, which is different than recognizing when they see them, which is why I have a huge problem, and you know this, Anna, with pictures on personas. Mm -hmm. Pictures, I I don't let my clients put pictures on the personas that we develop it because they're not, because they don't have anything to do with those kinds of demographics. And And the instant you put a picture on a persona, somebody in sales or in marketing or whatever instantly assumes that everybody who looks like that is in that segment and everybody in that segment looks like that. And it's a real problem for our personas that have nothing to do with demographics. And you know, we collect demographics in our surveys so we can show clients none of these people look different on paper you know, from these other groups. They don't look any different. So you can't say, oh, if they're young, oh, if they're female, oh, if they come in driving a Volvo and dragging two kids. Like you, you can't make those kinds of assumptions. Well, and I think also going back to your initial, you know, our initial conversation on this podcast is just that, you know, because I am a mid-30s female who drives a car doesn't mean that I'm going to go do X thing 
Like I, I will do something because of my preferences, because of my buying habits, because of my behaviors. Like I'm not going to just do it because I fit into this weird demographic category. Right. Which is why nobody's sending out emails say, hello, woman, 25 to 47. I mean, I wish they would because that'd be hilarious. Because you know it's not going to work. You know it. We know this. We know that, right. that that is not a resonant way to communicate with people. Um, so, but we keep doing it. Right. And so on that same topic, and, and kind of final question here for you, how frustrated do you get when people start talking about marketing to millennials or marketing to Gen X or marketing to baby boomers? How much does that kind of frustrate you when, because it feels like that's sort of the hot topic everywhere you go is just, you know, Gen Z, the rise of Gen Z and, you know, kind of dumping everybody into like one big bucket. How do you kind of break people out of that when you have these conversations? Well, I mean, it frustrates me, but I understand why they do it. And it's because they lack other data. And I guess, you know, I work with small businesses all the time and and small business owners. And, you know, I tell them the same thing I tell everybody else. How would you describe your ideal customers if you couldn't use demographics? If I didn't let you say male, female, age, company size, what would you say then? And, and if you're drawing a blank, it means that you haven't gone far enough in understanding what really matters to the people that you want to connect with, which is what it's all about, ultimately. Nice. I love it. I, I honestly cannot think of a better way to end this podcast. Susan, thank you so much for being here. For those who want to reach out and get in touch with you and know more about Audience Audit, where can they find you? Uh, the site's audienceaudit.com and my email is Susan at Audience Audit. I'm on Twitter at Susan Byer, Facebook. You'll find me. <laughs> nice. Love it. <laughs> all right. So Susan, we got to know the professional side of you. And we got to know all about audience segmentation and research. Stick around for just a little bit because we want to ask you some fun getting to know you questions and get to know a little Okey more of the side. So Okey everybody dokey. stick in there and we're going to um, throw some fun questions at Susan when we come back. All right, Susan. So we just had a ton of fun learning from you. And now I want to do everything you said not to do, which is I'm going to try and like get people to stereotype an image from you by trying to understand your persona. So we're going to hit you with like four or five lightning round questions. And then everyone's just going to judge you right after that as to like the type of person you are. Okay. Excellent. So I'll I'll start. They're lightning round, remember. So you got to just like go with your gut. No explanation. Just like, yeah. Okay. First survey. Okay. So what is the last show you watched on Netflix? Uh, Romanoffs. Okay. Diet or regular soda? No soda. No soda. Oh, everyone's judging you now. Oh, bourbon. Right, (laughs) right, right, right. Okay, cool. Uh, Are you more likely to shop at Walmart or Amazon? I hate shopping, so Amazon. Okay, nice, nice. Now, if if you're going to go out for food, are you more likely to go for Mexican Italian or sushi? Sushi. Sushi. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. We've got a very interesting mix of sushi and bourbon and staying at home to order Amazon. Uh, Everyone's got this. Okay. And don't worry, I'm not going to ask the age question. We're staying away from that. We're staying clear. You You can ask. I'm not ashamed. All right. All right. We're we're not going there though. We don't, we don't, as you said, we shouldn't stereotype people by, you know, by age. It's about behavior. Exactly. Right. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter unless you're a hairstylist. It doesn't matter. Okay. okay. So last one I've got for you, and, and you can choose the answer here because I'll, I'll give oh. you some, some leeway. So okay. if you're to either read a magazine, read a book, or listen to a podcast, 
which one is your go-to and what is the title? Ooh, book. And the book is called Satan, His Psychotherapy and Cure by the Unfortunate Dr. Kassler. Okay. That is on my list. Yeah, we're getting that into the show notes. It's hilarious. It is is incredibly funny. It is incredibly funny. It's the best. It's the funniest book ever. Amazing. So, so everyone is in a stereotype to you as someone who likes Satan, bourbon, and sushi. And that'd be pretty good. Well, you know, Susan, thanks so much. This was a ton of fun. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, For everyone who's listened to this podcast, you know, please have a look at all the other podcasts that we have. You can check us out. You can go to convincingcovert.com. You can go to uberflip.com. You can go to iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review as to what we can do to make this more enjoyable on a regular basis. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to the Content Experience Show. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentexperienceshow.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. That's contentexperienceshow.com. The Content Experience Show is sponsored by Convince and Convert Consulting and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, just go to convinceandconvert.com.